From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales, Gator Greats. I'm your host, Adam Schick. On episode one of this miniseries, we learned how each of the O4s made their way to Gainesville and the foundation being laid for the future of the program. Well, after the graduation of David Lee and the early departures of Matt Walsh and Anthony Roberson, the future was now. This is episode two, a new starting five. Long before fans get to see the finished product on the court, the preparation for a new season starts in earnest right after the end of the NCAA tournament, with exit meetings, individual sessions, and off-season workouts all playing a role in turning the page forward. For a team that just lost nearly 60% of its production, external expectations were low, a fact rising sophomore Al Horford clearly understood. The expectations weren't very high. I think um, there was a lot of questions on, you know, when you have guys like Anthony Roberson that, that was really gifted scoring, you know, David Lee can hold his own. Matt Walsh, obviously, you know, was a great shooter. So there was a lot of questions. There was no expectation um, about our group, about our team. And what we did that summer was we just got to work. You know, Joaquin was very driven because he um, didn't get an opportunity his freshman year. And he's, he's a competitor. He was like, you know, I want to play. Um, I want to be better. So he was getting after it. And then Corey um, Brewer, myself, um, you know, we're, we're out there trying to assert ourselves as well, because now since we played, it was kind of like the perception was that we were the ones that were going to have to carry the load. But quickly, Coach Donovan, you know, came in and, and spoke to us very early and made us understand that. If we all, and I, I never forget, like he literally wrote it on the, on, on, the, on the board and he said, I think before the season started, he was like, hey, like what we're going to have to do is we need five guys to score between 10 and 13 points a game. And he was like, we're going to have, we're, we're going to do this collectively and as a team. And, you know, and, and he kind of laid it out in that way. And we just all bought in. But as rising sophomore Corey Brewer remembers, buying in also included focusing on another critical component to being a student athlete. Me, Al, Joe, and Torian got called into Coach Shia's office. So um, Torian had been missing classes and Joe had been missing classes. And, you know, they were getting called by the class checkers. <laughs> so <laughs> Coach Shia was pretty mad. So he called us all four in. And me, me and Al had been missing class too, but we were smart about it. We knew how to. We knew how to beat the system. <laughs> we would at least go before we left. <laughs> they, Tori and, and Joe, they were just sleeping. So me and I were a little smarter than them too. But we were just sitting in the office. I remember sitting in the office, and he, Coach Shai just comes. He closes the door, and he just starts ripping into all of us. But he he starts one by one. He starts with Tori, and he just goes on Tori and, like, you little, you know what, this, that, like, you're not going to class, you haven't did nothing, you didn't even play last year, What do you, who do you think you are? Like, I'm like, oh, man. And then he goes to Joe, and he's like, it was funny now, but at the time it was funny too, but we, we couldn't laugh because Coach Shaw was so serious. And he was like, Joe, you think you're your dad, you're not your dad, you haven't did anything yet, you think you're this big superstar, but 
you're nothing. You haven't even played any minutes. And I'm like, oh, man. Like, <laughs> so me and Al, I can remember me and Al were kind of looking at each other, hitting each other like, oh, shit, what's he going to say to us? <laughs> and he was like, and you too. You think I don't know you've been missing class? You've been leaving class? I was like, oh, man. And he basically just put us in our place, like letting us know that we weren't, we hadn't did anything yet. We hadn't proven anything. And, you know, if you want to be something, you got to you gotta do all the right things. And I think that really helped us put things in perspective and, and made us work even harder. While outsiders may not have been looking for much from this squad, internally, confidence was high because, well, these guys were just always confident. Even rising junior Lee Humphrey was feeling something special brewing during the summer. You know, one thing that I did think, I thought, you know, we're, we've got a lot of confidence, uh, but at the same time, hey, let's be humble too. But I, I do remember that going into the summer, like, hey, we've got to prove ourselves. But I think everyone thought that. I mean, we all knew we had to prove ourselves, but we all thought, hey, this is our time. You know, w- we learned the ropes from the older guys. Uh, we learned the ropes playing pickup. Um, now we've got an opportunity to go out and, and the responsibility is on us. And I think we had a really a team mindset going into that season, uh, and that's why we were successful. I remember, uh, I don't know if any of the other guys talked about this, but uh, we were coming back from Coach Donovan's house. He would have us out for team dinners every few weeks or so, uh, once a month, especially in the summer. And I had an old Jeep. It was actually the Jeep that I learned to drive on. <laughs> it, was my, it was my dad's Jeep, and it was his dad's Jeep. He used to deliver mail uh, in the, in the hills in, in Tennessee through, through driving through streams and so forth. But I brought that Jeep down to, to campus one summer and we had all the guys, we had, I think it was Al, Joe, Corey, and myself in the Jeep. And, you know, those guys are bigger than the Jeep. So they're, <laughs> they're, they're hanging out. But, uh, we drove back and we were driving by Lake Allison and we looked over at each other and said, Hey guys, we're going to be, Hey, we, we can be really good this year. And that was in the middle of the summer. So I think we had a lot of confidence going into the season, and we all just wanted to work for the season. Going into the season, Coach uh, Anthony Grant, he had us over to his house for lunch. Uh, and it was uh, Joe Keem, Lee Humphrey, and myself. And um, we were riding in Lee Humphrey's, uh, I think it was his grandfather. He had like an old Jeep truck from like World War II. <laughs> um, and there was like a dump that Lee got it started i don't know how and he brought it to gainesville uh they brought it to gainesville for the summer so lee was driving it around and it had no doors no roof like it was very open and i remember uh lee driving us out there and before heading back we were heading back from coach grant's house and we're at a stoplight and i remember joaquin lee and myself talking and and I don't know if it was Joaquim or Lee that said hey i think we're going to be pretty good um or lee said we have a chance to be very good very special and i was like yeah yeah man i mean i think uh, I think we have a good team that we never would have imagined. Like we weren't thinking, oh, we're going to win the national championship. That wasn't even a thought process. I don't think at that time. Coaches aim to always project a steely resolve and belief in their teams, both publicly and privately. So it can be tough to gauge how successful they honestly think their season is going to be. For Billy Donovan, he was optimistic about his squad, largely because one player in particular was quickly on the rise to becoming a game changer. Well, I think going back the previous year, you know, I think the freshman year for Joe Kim was really hard because Corey Brewer, you know, right away started, you know, as a freshman. Torian Green backed up uh, Anthony Roberson and played, you know, pretty significant minutes, maybe 18 minutes a game as, as a backup. And sometimes they played alongside each other, he and Anthony. And then I think Al Horford 
like slowly worked his way into the starting lineup. And the one guy that was not playing was Joe Kim. And if you go back to what you just talked about, I think that that was really, really, really hard for those guys to see Joe, the frustration he was going through not playing, the fact that he was playing behind David Lee, who was an all-conference player, all-American, first-round draft pick. And the one thing I explained to Joe Kim during that year was the fact that part of the reason why he came to Florida is he liked the idea that as a young player, he got a chance to play against a senior like David Lee every day in practice, and he thought it would make him better. I don't think it made it any easier for him to game after game after game, sit on the bench, not play, and watch his three of the buddies out there all the time. And I think that offseason, he was really, really, really committed because the power forward position really opened up wide open for him because David Lee had graduated and had moved on to the NBA. And he knew that he had to be ready. And he knew that those guys were counting on him. I think those guys really encouraged him in the offseason. I think those guys all placed a lot of pressure on each other to not let one another down. And I think that they kind of forged this bond that was all around their competitive spirit. Like the one thing about the four of them is they were really, really competitive and they did not need to be amped up competitively. It's who they were. So, you know, when that season started, Joe Kim was a totally different player. He had a totally different look in his eye. When the season tipped off, the flow on the court with the new starting five was easy to see in blowout wins over St. Peter's College and Albany. As sophomore Torian Green points out, fans were just now beginning to see what had been developing on the practice courts and over the summers since the 04s got on campus. I think uh, playing pickup, I mean, we play, honestly, we played the same way in pickup as we did in the game, honestly. I mean, obviously there was plays that Coach Diamond would put in, but like I think the main thing with us is we would share the ball. Like we didn't care who scored, we didn't care who shot, and um, I think we just cared getting the best look. And you know, we obviously we wanted everybody to shine and and everybody to get their numbers and look good. But you know, at the end of the day, we didn't care. Like we just said, all right, let's make the right pass. If you got to look cool, if I, I said if I kick it in the post and they double and we kick it out, just shoot it. You know, we all had that confidence in each other, confidence in each other, and and that just carried over to the court. And it, it wasn't even a hard transition, honestly. I think it did. I mean. I, the older guys that we were playing against at the time, you know, uh, Matt Walsh, David Lee, Anthony Roberson, um, Adrian Moss, those guys really were, were great competition for us. And uh, we had some great games in, in the summer. We played often uh, with, you know, the O4s myself versus uh, the older guys, uh, and, and we're really competitive. So we had built some confidence there. Uh, but at the same time, I think our style lent itself to each other. You know, Joe could get a rebound and push it out, could do the same. Corey could take a rebound and push it as well. Uh, we, we always looked to score early in the shot clock. I don't know if you go back and, and look at games, but uh, we, we ran pretty hard early. Uh, we did a lot of drills where we would say, we're going to score in 12 seconds or less. We'll get a good shot in 12 seconds or less. If we don't, then we'll set it back up. But we always thought, let's try to score fast so we can take advantage of, of the defense uh, getting back in transition. And, and that is much like a pickup game. You know, when you're playing pickup, you want to get out and run. You want to have fun. You want to shoot early. Uh, you want to get good shots. If you listen to almost any TED Talk or motivational speaker discuss the habits of successful people, routine is likely to come up multiple times. That was certainly the case for the 04s, who collectively mapped out their days and stuck to a schedule. 
you know, there were several things that created the chemistry and, and it started since the moment that we met, but it was the lifestyle that we lived. Um, you know, when we were in school, uh, we would, you know, work out together. We would walk to Gator Diner together to go have, you know, lunch or dinner or breakfast or whatever. In the afternoon, we would go to study hall together. So we would walk there together. And then after we'd finished with study hall, we would walk back and go to the facility and we would shoot 50 free throws um, each, you know, every night, um, sometimes 100, but it was usually 50 and at least 50. We would go in there and we'd rebound for each other. And um, it was funny because we would uh, pretend like we were on the road in an SEC arena uh, shooting two free throws and, you know, we had to knock them down and we'd be making noise. So Corey would be at the free throw line and Tony and I would be saying, hey, you're at Mississippi State you know, down two, four seconds to go. And, you know, we're screaming at him as he's shooting the free throw. So like, and then we're talking pressure and this and this. So that was like kind of like a routine that we had. So, um, you know, that, that was part of a compilation of work that we just put in every single day. Like it was like a similar routine. And like, I feel like that was, you know, what one of the things that, you know, that helped us, you know, bond. And there was definitely different moments in the season. Uh, you know, they, they continue to, you know, to bring us closer. And and one of them was, you know, winning the, the 2K tournament in New York and Madison Square Garden. Uh, we beat, you know, a really good uh, Wake Forest and then a really good Syracuse team. Um, and once we did that, like, you know, just hanging out in the hotel after those wins that night, you know, all of us getting together in, you know, in one of the rooms, um, you know, most of the team was there. And, you know, we're just, you know, enjoying and hang, just hanging out with each other, enjoying having having a great time. And, all, all the off the court stuff like that that we were just able to get together and and just hang out and you know just be college kids and, and, and friends. I think that those that's what really made us you know stronger as a group. That trip to MSG proved to be an early bellwether for the team as they entered the Coaches versus Cancer 2K Sports Classic unranked and matched up against top 20 foes Wake Forest and Syracuse. The young upstart Gators beat both Blue Bloods by five to win the title, and a new star was born as Torian Green put up consecutive 23-point performances in the Garden. In addition to putting the Gators into the national conversation, it also allowed them to step out of the shadow of David Lee, Matt Walsh, and Anthony Roberson just four games into the new era. Well, I think, honestly, like, obviously we knew those guys had left declared for the draft, so we kind of knew that, you know, our time was up. <laughs> and, you know, we grinded that whole summer. We had a really good summer. And um, obviously we had confidence in ourselves and we knew we would be a good team. But I think after that tournament in New York, the coaches versus cancer, when we beat Wake Forest first and they beat Syracuse, I think after that, like, we really saw how good we could really be. And we played well, and we, and we played well, but we didn't play that great. But, you know, we still won and we were like, yo, we got a chance to do something special. And I think that's when we kind of realized – you know, our potential. We played some good teams. We played um, Wake Forest and then we played Syracuse in the championship. Uh, playing Syracuse in Madison Square Garden is like a home game for Syracuse. Uh, they had a lot of fans. It was packed. And, and obviously, it's probably the most historic place to play a basketball game. So winning there just, I think, um, catapulted us for the rest of the season. I, I think we were already confident, but that was kind of a staple. Like, hey, we're for real. We can beat, you know, good teams. Here are assistant coach Anthony Grant and the voice of the Gators, Mick Hubert, both echoing the changing of the guard in the Big Apple. Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, the year before you lose David Lee and you lose two all-conference type players and 
early in Matt Walsh and Anthony Robertson. So, you know, we felt like those guys uh, that we had coming back were, were, were good. You know, how good, you, you, know, you don't know. I think uh, we ended up going early in the season to uh, Madison Square Garden to play. I can't remember the name of the of the event, but we played Wake Forest and, and Syracuse. And, uh, you know, I think both of those teams were pretty good. And, uh, you know, our, the guys came out and played really well. So I think there, after those two games, we knew we were pretty good. Now, now how good, you know, uh, I thought we remained to be seen. And I think we went, we went on and won like 16, 17 straight games. Um, you know, as you as you go through a season, you start to to, to gain experience and, and you begin to know know a little bit more about yourself. So I think we felt like once we went out on that stage and saw the way they 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 bonded together, and, and you know, Billy did a great job of you know putting those guys in position style of play wise to play to their strengths. We we felt like we had a chance to be pretty good. When I look back on that, we were two and zero and went into Madison Square Garden and and had to play there. Uh, and uh, that was in the uh, I think that was what they called the Two K Sports Hoop Classic then or something like that. And uh, we beat Wake Forest uh, in the Garden, and now we got to play Syracuse. <laughs> You're playing Syracuse in the Garden. I mean, you know, probably eighty percent of the Garden was rooting for Syracuse. And uh, and I remember the number of threes we made, and particularly Lee Humphrey. He, Lee Humphrey and Torian Green were just scorching the nets, and they were doing it against Jim Beheim's, you know, vaunted zone defense. I mean, that's all Beheim played was that zone defense, and we were shooting the lights out. The trip to NYC also gave Joe Kim Noah a chance to play in his hometown. And while he didn't put up overwhelming numbers, Billy Donovan saw his solid performance continue to build the fire inside him. I think that weekend tournament in New York City where he played as well as he did um, really kind of started to give him the confidence that he could really make an impact but I felt like after about the first two or three weeks of the season I thought we had a chance to be pretty good because they all shared the ball they all competed they played the right way we had really really good shooting with Torian and Lee Humphrey we had obviously a tremendous defender and slasher in Corey Brewer. And then we obviously had two big guys up front in, 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 in Al and Joe who were extremely versatile and highly skilled. And the team just fit really, really well together. And then you talk about a guy like Chris Richard coming off the bench. Uh, you know, we just had the makings of a very, very good team. But it all started, I think, because of their bond and also them not wanting to let each other down. The offensive talent was starting to show through during that 17-0 start that lifted the team all the way to number two in the nation. But the defense they played was equally as important to their winning formula. That effort was led by assistant coach Larry Shiat, a defensive wizard who had spent the previous 10 seasons as a head coach at Wyoming and Clemson before joining Donovan's staff in 2004, giving him the ability to mold the 0-4's defensive commitment as soon as they stepped on campus. Well, I think, one, we had really good defenders, and I think Coach Shiat really brought that defensive mentality to us. One of the, our first practices, Coach Shiat brought out a rope, and we were all in a shell drill, and he had everybody holding a rope on that was on defense. And he was like, you see how you guys are holding on to this rope? You see? Everybody's connected. You all got to be connected. All five guys got to be connected on defense at all times and he emphasized that all the time and I think we really took that to heart and 
we were always connected on defense. Like, of course, there were mistakes, but like we all knew, like if we made a mistake, like all right, my bad, my bad, and not and and try not to let it happen again. Like we held each other accountable. I think that was the the main thing is like everybody loved to play. Lee Humphrey, one of the best defenders for me in the country. We we put him on the best guard all the time. Corey would guard, you know, obviously the best two guard or three man, and you know Joe and Horf would always have the post on lock and then you know me and hump in the backcourt we would we would hold our own defensively against anybody so um i think it's just good that all you know, our whole team like to play defense we like to get after it. we like to press we like to get up and down and run so i think you know just that identity matched our team uh, that was very important man um coach shot was all about defense he had these ropes that we had to stay on the line we, man, he had all kind of little gimmicks he'd, he'd pull out. And then in practice, we'd have, like, just the defensive practice. And we'd do straight defensive slides and hops. And it was all Coach Shy, all defense. And he loved it, every minute of it. And, you know, it was hard work, but um, it made us it made us what we were. It made us good. You know, we wanted to play defense. I think that was the difference. Um, You know, we had it was always some really good Florida teams. But for us, you know, defense was – we like playing defense, and we all we were on a string. Coach Shad, like you said, you got to be on a string. Let's put it like this: I was always gambling, but if I if I gambled and made a, made a mistake, I knew that Joe King was going to be there, Al was going to be there, Torian or Lee was going to be there to make up for my mistake, and I would go get their guys. So we just knew each other. Just like if Torian, if he stabbed in the backcourt and went first steal. I would help him. We just knew how to help each other. And I think Coach Shy was that's what he was all about. You know, it's going to be mistakes made, but you have to make up for each other's mistakes. It's easy to remember a player like Lee Humphrey as just a shooter since he still holds the NCAA tournament career record for threes. But he knew how critical it was that he bring the defensive skills ingrained in him to Gainesville. I think it was really important for me. I mean, it, it probably started from my freshman year. Uh, I was really fortunate. I had learned a lot of fundamentals and principles in high school. I had a really good coach. My dad was a coach as well. So I I had a really good foundation coming into the university. And and I knew that to get on the floor as a freshman, I was going to have to do, I was going to, the coaches were going to have to have complete faith in me that they knew what I was going to do and they they knew where I was going to be. And defense, you can almost always control that to some degree with your, with your energy, with your focus and concentration, with your prep going into the game, understanding the scouting report, how you're going to play different guys, when you're going to rotate in different formations. So I always tried to say, you know, this is something that I can hang my hat on. And then I knew that if I got open shots, I was going to, I was going to hit them. I mean, and I felt like, you know, it was always, I could always score in streaks, um, especially growing up. So if I hit one or two, I know I could, if I just got a crack, I could get a second or third one. And I was pretty confident in that. So um, I think early on, I kind of carved that out as, as kind of my niche. And then um, it carried on throughout the rest of my career. As much as the hype was building around Humphrey and the 04s during Florida's then-school record 17-game winning streak, the Stars themselves were keenly aware of how important an incredibly deep and talented bench was to their rise up the rankings. While there can sometimes be jealousy between the guys getting headlines and the ones that don't, this team had a secret sauce that Brewer insists was pretty simple. Because we were all friends, man. We all hung out. Uh, we all joked. Um, like they would call themselves, our bench would call themselves like the, the Goon Squad because it would be Chris, Moss, 
Then you had Walter Hodge. <laughs> um, it was we had a good bench, man. Like our bench could play. People don't understand. Like both those years we won the championship, you had Adrian Moss who was really good, but he just you know he was playing behind Joe and Al. You had Chris Richard who ended up being a thirty second pick of the draft. Who he would have started for any other team, but our team. And just like on um, Walter Hodge was really good. He probably could have started for any other team, but our team. And then um, everybody just knew their role. And like when Walter came in, we knew he was gonna he was gonna pick up the pace. He was gonna play hard. And he was probably one of the toughest guys I ever played with. Walter Hodge is a, he's a tough little dude. Um, Chris Richard, man, he he was the enforcer. When he came in, he was gonna bang. He was gonna bruise. He was gonna beat up the other big, and he could score. <laughs> so. And then we also had Maurice Space the second year. Maurice Space ended up being a lottery pick, basically. Mm-hmm. And he would have started for anybody. Like, he was one of the most talented offensive guys I've seen around. And he just he, – he didn't play a lot of minutes because you had two of the best bigs to play in college, I feel. Walter was huge. Walter came off the bench, played the one and the two. He was, more, he was naturally a two guard, but he would shift over to the one to give me a break. Him and Lee would exchange, you know, playing the point when I would come out. and um. You know, I was really only the true point guard on that team, but Walt did a Walt Walt did a great job of adjusting his game and you know, kind of playing the point, but at the same time being the good. Like we told him, just play your game. Like if what you do is attack the basket, you know, attack the basket and go score and make plays and get fouled. You know, he's very athletic, very fast. He's a good finisher, and I feel like he was just another dynamic to to help us off the bench in terms of his defense. He was a good defender, strong. You know, he likes to talk a lot of crap out there. <laughs> you know, he talked a lot of crap out there. You know, him and C. Rich, him and C. Rich were kind of like the our bench catalyst, you know, because those two together, they would always talk noise and they would always bring it. Like, you know, they were kind of the enforcers for our team. Not only were the Gators winning, they were cruising. After the tight wins in New York and an eight-point victory over Florida State, they won each of their next 12 games by double digits, including the first trio of SEC games against Georgia, Mississippi State, and Auburn. When they arrived in Knoxville to play Tennessee, they were undefeated and number two in the nation. But despite a six-point halftime lead, turnovers proved to be a game-changer in the second half of a 70-66 loss. For the two Tennessee natives in the starting five, the struggles against the Vols remain a sore subject. Uh, they were a tough matchup, man. They they played their best their best games when they played against us. Um, I also got hurt that game. No, I don't know if people realize that when we were seventeen. No, I get hurt. I hurt my ankle pretty bad. Hmm. That was um, one of the things that I think that's how they got <laughs> it the first. That's how they got it the first game. <laughs> and then I think I turned it over the next time they beat us at our place. I turned it over. Um, it was just a miscommunication. Um, I thought Al was gonna c- come to me, and then. He was backing up, and I was, I was about to throw the ball, and I just I basically gave him a, gave him a win. And you know, me being from Tennessee, both all those losses hurt because I'm, right. I'm a Tennessee kid. Being a Tennessee kid, me and Lee Hump, we never wanted to lose to Tennessee. So they have, they have my I guess you can say they have my number because I get hurt, then I turn it over. So I take those losses because <laughs> they really hurt me more than anybody. I agree. It was Tennessee and South Carolina also. I don't know if any of you guys talked about South Carolina, but they gave us a hard time as well. Um, they play, Those two teams played us better than anyone. I don't know why. I mean, Tennessee was really good at the time. They had Chris Lofton. They had um, C.J. Watson, I believe, that year. Um, they, they played for the NBA for a long time. They were really good, and their fans were, were great. If you go play a game at, uh, up in Knoxville, it's going to be packed, especially against Florida. Uh 
It's the one team I wanted to probably beat more than anyone. So it definitely frustrated me that we, we couldn't have their number. I mean, we look, we had Kentucky's number, but we just couldn't get Tennessee. At, at, we're probably about 50-50 with them in my career. We did beat them pretty good one year at home, and then they went up, and I, I can't remember if that was our first or second year, but one year, Joe Kim Noah got his tooth knocked out as well. He caught a he caught an elbow from... I can't remember who who it was. It may have been C.J. Watson, but I remember standing at the three-point line, and I could look down, and I could see Joe's tooth right on the floor. Wow. Did anybody <laughs> stop to, to pick it up or move it out of the way? I can't remember what happened, but I think it's the same game where um, we turned it over on an inbounds play, uh, sideline out of bounds near the end of the game. I uh, gave them a wide open layup, and, and that pretty much sealed it for them. Was it someone slipped on the tooth? I assume, right? That's why. It, that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why right. that's, the breakdown happened. That's our excuse: <laughs> the tooth and the blood. All kidding aside, the ultra competitive group took their first loss of the year really hard, but it led directly to a critical moment that showed the O4s how committed their coach was to seeing them grow from disappointment. We're seventeen and zero that year. And we win this game. Duke lost that day. And if we win that, if we win, we're number one. So we have to beat Tennessee in a, a hostile environment. It was just a war. And you know, we lose on a on a last possession. Uh, it, I mean, it, it crushed us. Crushed us. Like I remember, Coach. Don- I remember coming, Coach Donovan after the game. Coach Donovan drove us back to the dorm. And he came into the dorm and we spoke until like four in the morning. Wow. Just what we needed to do. Yeah, everybody was like, it was, that was the energy, you know? We spoke for two hours about the team and what we needed to do better. And because it, nobody gave us a chance and we knew, we knew, we knew and we cared so, we cared so much, man. We cared so much. Well, you know, back then it was different. So what we would do is myself and the assistant coaches, when we used to go to the airport, we would basically all pile in the coaches' cars. And, you know, as you can imagine, uh, they all scramble to avoid my car because they don't want to get in the, car, <laughs> the head coach, right? Right. Uh, but on the way back, I put those guys in the car with me. And they like when they lost, it bothered them deeply. Like there was a deep pain. And, you know, even going back, like one of the things that really – put me over the top with Al Horford as I watched him is going into a senior high school in an AAU tournament. It was a big one in Las Vegas in the summer. They lost in the semifinals and I was walking out of the gym and he was sitting on the bleachers crying. And I'm like, man, this guy really cares. This guy's crying over an AAU game. Like this guy really cares. So I talked to those guys about, you know, just how good they can be, what it was going to take And Joe and Al were inexperienced. Their roles had completely changed, but they needed to get more disciplined. They needed to get, uh, you know, much, much more making fewer mistakes. Um, And some of it was, you know, going through their own own experiences and and having to absorb what they needed to absorb. But we I I do remember that it was really we got in at around one thirty two o'clock and we sat in the car for like two hours and talked outside their their dorm. And um you know, I think at that point in time, it was maybe like one of the first games we lost and we had struggled with Tennessee. And I think it may have been up at their place. And to, to your point, I think we were two in the country at that time. I had a chance to go to number one that didn't happen. And we kind of were starting all over again to kind of regroup about what it was going to take to get to another level. Well, one that obviously showed us that he cared. And, um, you know, obviously he's he's going to coach us. He let, We let him coach us. He's going to get on us. But for him to, you know, take us to our dorm, 
and to, you know, just sit down and talk with us as people, you know what I'm saying? Just not as coach to player, just as humans, you know what I'm saying? Like we saw that he really cared and really had a love for us and we appreciated that. And, you know, he basically told us just, you know, just enjoy the moment. Like there's obviously going to be ups and downs and, and all that, but, you know, just enjoy the moment and just enjoy the process. And that was the main thing. While the head coach often gets the headlines and draws the most attention from the outside world, a true coaching staff is necessary to win at the highest levels. And for this team, each assistant brought something unique to the table. They were a great group. Coach Donovan, you know, he's a great head coach, if not the best, one of the best ever to do it in college. And he's doing great in the NBA. But for him, he, um, he was all about living the moment, like moving on. Your next play has to be your best play. His mentality was, okay, we lost the game. Now we got to get back on track. And he was just great at motivating us. And he had a guy like Anthony Grant who was just, he just let you know how it was. Um, he was great big man coach, but just a great coach, period, because he was he was always going to keep it keep it 100% with you. Like if you were doing something bad, if you were doing something wrong. And then you had um Larry Shy. That's my guy, Coach Shy. He Coach Shy, he would cuss me out every day, <laughs> and like that's just the way it was. He 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 just was all about defense, and if you messed up, he let you know about it. And he was he was all about defense. He probably didn't know two offensive plays, but he was great. And then we had um, Coach Donnie Jones, who was he was like the the coach who kept everybody like he'd calm you down. Like if somebody was getting mad, Coach. Jones kept everybody even killed and that was his job and he was the best at that job ever because like no matter what was going on if coach Jones put you to the side and he patted you on your back he he let you know like it's okay and then everything would be back to normal so you put those four guys like they were great they knew their role everybody knew their role not just the coaching staff player I mean not just players the coaching staff knew their role and everybody played their role to the best of their ability while the team felt they knew what they needed to do, the switch didn't flip immediately, as the loss to Tennessee started an 11-game stretch where they went 5-6, and six, with losses to Arkansas, Alabama, two defeats at the hands of South Carolina, and a home loss to those pesky Vols, albeit all by six points or less. On top of the stumbles on the court, one Gator had an unfortunate spill off it. I think Lee Humphrey, <laughs> he got hurt riding his bike. <laughs> I think people, they thought it was a lie. Everybody was like, there's no way he hurt his shoulder riding his bike, but he really used to go on bike rides <laughs> all the time. And I forgot who we were playing. I think we ended up losing, and the, like the opposing guard, he was like, "So you, really, Lee Humphrey, really hurt yourself riding a bike? What kind of what kind of excuse is that?" And I was just like laughing. I was like, "You really don't know Lee Humphrey, man. <laughs> this dude was really riding his bike." So I think that's one of the funniest things. I can remember, and we had all kinds of stories, man. A lot of stories I can't really, <laughs> they're not PG-13, but we just had a lot of fun. In just a few weeks, Florida went from the verge of number one to 17th in the nation with the need for vocal leadership on the floor. No surprises here. They found that in the voice you would probably expect to hear above all the others. Joakim was very vocal. Um, you know, he, he'd definitely be vocal. He, you know, he'd step in and he'd say things, um, you know, at different times or, or, or he, he always kept us very hungry, very driven, very motivated. Um, I feel like he always kept the group that way. And then, you know, there was, I feel like at crucial times or at certain times that I felt like something needed to be said, I would step in and, and talk to the group, um, and say certain things and, 
you know, one of the things, you know, with our group is that we all, whether it was uh, Torian, whether it was Corey, whichever who we were talking about, everybody always, you know, had a, a le- legitimate interest of winning. So every, and anytime anything was said, you know, it, it was real. It was about the right thing. And, uh, but, but yeah, I would say that, you know, Joaquin was the constant one and, and I would step in, you know, when I felt like it was needed to, to speak. I think one of Joe's strengths and his natural strengths is just his energy. So he would bring that to practice and you could feed off the energy. And he, he naturally is pretty vocal and can step up and he's very competitive. So if things are not going well, he's going to speak his mind and speak up. And it's exactly what you need as a team. Um, so, so I do think, yeah, Joe brought that, that leadership to the team. Uh, I do think though that a lot of, a lot of guys, uh, brought similar leadership, not at the same, you know, not at the same, uh, frequency as, as Joe would in, in that type of style. But I do think, um, we, we had that from, from different guys as well. When Noah spoke up, people listened, but they rarely knew what he was going to say, or rather where he was going to say it, which is important to someone holding a live microphone on the radio. With Tim Tebow, you knew exactly what you were going to get. With Joe Kim Noah, you never knew what you were going to get. (laughs) He was just as consistent on the floor in being a pursuit of excellence as Tim Tebow, but his free spirit meant that if you have a microphone in front of his lips, you better be ready to pot, pot that thing down. Because you don't know what <laughs> that he would say the first thing that come through his mind. I loved his free spirit. We, we loved having him on. But he was a totally different guy. He, he was a little bit of a loose cannon in that regard. Joe was, he was out there, but he wasn't as crazy as people think. I think it's a lot. It's a lot goes into Joe. He's misunderstood. And um, Joe was just Joe. I don't know, like... It's a lot of great stories, but it's a lot of stories I can't share. But <laughs> he was just Joe, man. He was always walking around with his boombox. He had a boombox he'd walk around on campus with. He was he always had these African beads around his neck. He was just Joe King. He always he was just he hated wearing shoes. He was always walking around barefooted. I don't know. Joe was just Joe. Already credited with coming up with the O4's nickname, Noah lent some swag to the entire team with another moniker that defined the run to come. I don't know, you know, we're in the South, you know, it's just, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like hot boys and it's like, you know, that's the kind of music you're listening to in the club, you know, it's like hot boys, gator boys, you know, just, that's just kind of how like slang talking in, in, uh, in the South, you know. I'm not from the South or anything. Like, it's not, you know, but... You picked it up, though. I picked it up, for sure. On our next episode, the Gator Boys hit a turning point near the end of the regular season that catapults them into the big dance and all the way to the Final Four. Until then, I'm Adam Schiff, giving a special thanks to production assistant Eli Rosen and to all of you for tuning in to this latest installment of Gator Tales, Gator Greats.